Last uh, couple of weeks, I've uh, started out with a story about my son, uh, Finn, if you guys have been with us. And, uh, and so this week I told myself, you know, like I, I wasn't going to do that. You know, I'm just not, I mean, I want you to think Finn's like the only thing happening in my life, okay? Like I, I have other friends, and uh, I do, and I have other stories. Um, so the thing about Finn is this. Um, parent, parenting is actually really hard, you know? Um, and, and, and one of the hard things I think about parenting is uh, you, you have to teach your children sometimes that they've got to do things that they don't want to do. And uh, let's be honest, sometimes it's hard for adults to learn this as well. Uh, one of the, I think, the secrets to a successful life is, is knowing that there are some things you have to do that you don't want to do. So this has become kind of a mantra in our household. So when I asked Finn, you know, uh, Finn might ask me, he's like, well, why did you want to go do that? And I was like, well, I never said I wanted to do it. And this is like a whole thing, especially for people like myself on the spectrum. I was like, I didn't say I wanted to. Um, and he'll respond, oh, but sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do. And I'm like, exactly. So I was pondering this, and I was looking into tricks and tips on how to do the things we don't want to do. And here's what I found. First off, the English language is very interesting. Um, uh, what I mean is, is if you Google these things, uh, things you don't want to do, doing things you don't want to do, you'll get these results. They, they're up on the screen. Uh, things like 10 ways to do what you don't want to do or how to motivate yourself to do things that you don't want to do, which is you know, I'm sure these links provide just great advice, more helpful than anything I'm going to say today. But, but here's what surprised me. If you change the words of that Google search just a little bit, you get a completely different set of results, like this. Why do I always end up doing the things I don't want to do? And how to stop doing the things you don't want to do? And I'm like, wait a second. So let me get this straight. All right, follow me. There are things we should do but don't want to do, but there are also things we want to do but shouldn't, and not everything we don't want to do should be done, and then there are things that other people want us to do that we can't do, and to make things worse, there are things we don't want to do and shouldn't do, but we do them anyways. Anyone else confused? You're not the first person to be confused. This is how I feel every time I read Paul's thoughts on the issue. Paul in Romans 7, 15 says it like this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. <clears throat> what? It's all a little too confusing. The relationship between what we should do and what we want to do is messy at times. But it's still true. There are good things that we should do that we don't want to like exercise, except for the really better people in the room. I'm speaking for myself, I guess. Like eating vegetables, which I like vegetables as much as um, anyone who's reasonable. I, uh, uh, like being nice to people who are mean. But there are things we don't want to do, um, and, and you have to, we don't want to, but you do. And then there are things that we don't want to do, and we do them anyways, like not exercising, like eating candy, or sweets, like being mean back to the people who are mean to us. This is the struggle of what it means to be human. So, so what, why do I bring all of this up? Well, I wanted to, um, here's why I share this. Last week, we talked about what role we play in the church. And I showed you this diagram. The sweet spot in the church and in our life is, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 we're gonna, yeah, diagram, church, 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 church. Okay. So 
I like charts and, uh, sorry, context everyone. I like charts. I think they're really exciting. So last week I encouraged you to be very excited when I showed you a chart. I forgot about that, thank you. Um, so anytime I show a chart, come up with something that just shows how excited you are that we're looking at a chart um, because charts are great. Um, but the sweet spot uh, in the church is when our gifts and talents line up with God's call in our life and the needs and the opportunities in the church. So you've got your gifts and your talents, you've got your calling, what God's doing in your life, and then you've got an opportunity or a need. And when those three line up, oh man, it's a sweet spot. Now, um, that doesn't always happen, though, It does it, in life? Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always happen. Life isn't always so kind. Sometimes what we're good at, the church doesn't need right then. And sometimes what God calls us to do isn't what we're good at. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. You see, usually in Scripture, when God calls someone, you know, when God shows up in someone's life, shows up in your life, and asks them to do something, sends them on a mission, or commissions them, that's the fancy word, commission, we have the Great Commission, but there were a lot of small, lesser commissions throughout Scripture. Usually, more often than not, when God does this, the person God is talking to doesn't want to do it. This is true for people like Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah. The most famous protest comes from the story of Jonah. If you remember that story? I mean, he, he told God no in the hardest way possible. I mean, but each of these, they were asked to do something they didn't want to do. And there's this sense that this is maybe why God calls us, just to point out the obvious. Uh, in other words, my pastor friend, Leo Cunningham, often says, it's a calling because people don't volunteer for this. And I guess if people wanted to do something already or already thought about doing it or it just kind of came naturally, God wouldn't need to ask them to do it, right? Now, to be fair, most callings, I think, become things that we love to do. When God asks you to do something, it does become very meaningful, but they don't, at least biblically, start out there. They are usually God looking at us like a loving parent, and God is telling us, you know, this is good, you need to do this. I know you don't want to, but sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do. So to help us understand this a little better, I want to look at a, a book. I want to look at a calling, God's call, a calling on a person's life in the book of Acts. We've been spending time in the series looking at stories in the early church in Acts, and today I want to look at the conversion of Paul, or more specifically, the calling of Ananias, uh, which happens in the story of Paul's conversion. So if you have your Bibles, uh, or if you want to grab one from the pew, you can go to Acts 9. If you like to sort of, if you're a visual learner, you can pull it out and really look at it, or it'll be on the screen as well. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 10, and you can follow along. Um, but before we do read this, I'll uh, give you some backstory. This is the story of Paul becoming a follower of Jesus. Paul, or as it's mentioned in this story a few times, Saul, Paul or Saul, those names were interchangeable. All right, so um, uh, some people attribute it to the conversion. It doesn't really make sense in the context. You can, you can still view it that way if you want, but uh, most people would say that those, those names are presented as just like kind of interchangeable names. So Paul or Saul is uh, one of the most influential people in the New Testament. Most of the New Testament letters were written by Paul, and pretty much the rest of Acts, from Acts 9 on, is about Paul or Saul. But this only happens after he starts following Jesus. So up to this point in the story, he is a bad dude. Um, his main job is to find, arrest, and execute Christians. He's not a good guy. He's very dangerous. He has a lot of power. 
The last person you would think to become an influential leader in the church was Paul. He was killing influential leaders in the church. Like, that was his job. Not quite as an assassin, but uh, sort of a religious assassin, I guess. So on his way to Damascus, which is a a town in in Israel, he's on his way there to do this very thing. He's looking for influential leaders to to find, and, 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 and he has this religious experience. God shows up in Saul's life. And God asks Paul, or Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul is freaking out because he was a devout Jew. He believed in God, just not in Jesus. And God shows up and says, I am Jesus, basically. Why are you persecuting me? We are one and the same. Where the Father is, the Son is also. Well, through this encounter, he loses his sight, which is this beautiful metaphor for how those moments in our life when paradigms really shift and you kind of lose your way and things don't make sense. Like, they, you know, it's kind of like he loses his sight. And so God tells Saul to go to Damascus. He has to be led there, and he would be told what to do. And this is all Paul's told. So he's not a believer yet. He's not a changed person yet. He's just had an encounter with God, and not every encounter with God is a good one, and not every encounter produces change. So he's had an encounter with God, and he's told to go, and from there he will be told what to do. And that's where we pick up the story, okay? So now you know kind of the context. So we jump to Damascus, and we see what God has planned for Paul. Acts 9, starting with verse 10, it says this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. This is the part of the story that we call a call narrative. And I, I, I love call narratives. They're very significant to me. Um, I studied them a lot in seminary. I've mentioned them a lot in sermons. I'll mention it again, so just, it's okay. But call narratives are stories in Scripture about how God is calling someone which is obvious, I know. And this is Ananias's call narrative. And every call narrative, going all the way back to Moses and Gideon and Isaiah, they follow a simple format, and they all start with an invitation. So you see this format, this literary format, this biblical format for what it means for God to ask someone to do something. And first step is God shows up and speaks to someone by name almost all the time. He almost always calls them by name. There's kind of one exception that I know of. I'll get to it later. A calling is most often personal, which is to say it's not for someone else. It rarely ever is. What God is calling you to do might not be what God is calling someone else to do. And the worst thing you can do when God asks you to do something is to look at other people and like, well, what about them? And they have a different thing and compare yourself. Don't. It's personal, because God is like, look, I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to you. The worst way to side rail a calling is to compare it to other people, because your calling is personal. God knows you. God knows you by name. God has something for you personally. And that's how a calling narrative starts. It's personal. And this is how Ananias responds, which is pretty common for all narratives. He says, yes, Lord. Um, and now we're in. That's how it works. God, God places something in us, reaches out to us, speaks to us in various ways. We say, okay, what do you have for us, God? And we're in. Next verse, verse 11. So the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. He's probably praying real hard because he's like, I can't see. Something needs to change. I'm real disoriented. His whole paradigm's shifting. 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, which I love, because even though he's blind, he's still given a vision, right? A man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Here's the thing you got to know about these call narratives. They're very consistent. Every single narrative um, that I'm familiar with anyways uses one simple command, go. It's always go. For Moses, God said, go and deliver my people from Egypt. For Gideon, God said, go and save Israel from the hand of Midian. For Isaiah, God said, go and give the people this message that no one wants to hear. It's always go and do this, go. Callings usually require that we take action. God invites us to do something. Uh, And I want you to know that as Christians, there's an invitation to just be. God loves you for exactly who you are. But when it comes to calling, there's a command to go, to do. Now, I don't know what role God has for you um, in in this world, in in your family, in your community, even in this church. But I knew this. Whatever it is, it will require you to take steps towards it. It will require action. Now, there's a major shift in this command, and uh, this call narrative is different from any other Old Testament call narrative. It's one of the few we see after the time of Jesus, so so it should be different because Jesus changes everything. But in the Old Testament, uh, the command to go was always to face off with God's enemies, to to, to encounter, to to be engaged with, to usually overcome. Go and fight my enemies or, or go yell at them and tell them what they're doing wrong or go condemn them or you know, face off with Israel's enemies was at the root of most of the Old Testament calls. Moses was called to go and deliver God's people from God's enemies. Gideon was called to wage war with God's enemies. Isaiah was called to go and correct people opposed to God's view of the world, to call them out, to face off with them. So, so same with most of the Old Testament stories, but here the command isn't to go and face off or attack or stand against God's enemies, the command, do you see, was to go and find the person who had been attacking God's people, killing their leaders, arresting their followers, and heal him. What a shift. What a shift in the story of God. Now, if there were ever a calling that someone wouldn't want to do, it'd be this, wouldn't it? Think about Ananias' perspective. Saul was on his way to Damascus to smoke out Christians just like him so he could arrest them, put them on trial, maybe hang them on a cross like Jesus. Ananias might have been on his hit list. He might have heard of Ananias if he was a leader in the church. Never would it cross Ananias' mind to go and seek Saul out. They hid from danger like that. But God is asking him to do something that he doesn't want to do. So can I just say something? If you stay with the faith long enough, you'll be asked to do stuff you don't want to do. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is very annoying like that. He, he, he is. He's, he's like a really good parent, because parents are annoying like that too. Building the kind of community where we love our enemies and bless those who curse us and meet the demands of the oppressed and stand up to oppressors and stand up for justice and love all people, that doesn't happen unless a few of us get outside our comfort zone. Because that's super hard and it's difficult and it's overwhelming and it's impossible work and it's not always fun and it's not always glorious and it's not always easy. But if we're going to be the church, 
We're going to need to be people who are willing to do things we don't want to do. If we're going to become the church God wants us to be, we're going to need to do some things that we haven't considered. And we have to be consistent in those good things, things that will bring us peace and joy and love, but maybe won't feel like that at first. Now, that doesn't mean if you love God, you will magically just want to do these things or that you need to pretend like doing hard things is fun. I'm not interested in that form of Christianity. Finding a way to convince yourself that the hard things God asks you to do is just great. Because here's what I absolutely love about our God. God asks us to do impossible things, but God isn't surprised for how we feel about it. You don't have to pretend like you like doing what God's asked you to do. My favorite part of these call narratives, and you can look at all of, there's a whole bunch of them, 99% of them anyways, is that every time God calls someone to do it, they almost always say, no thanks. And look at Ananias, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's as bad as the Egyptians in Egypt, God, who are oppressing our people. I'm adding that, sorry. All the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is honest with God. I don't want to do this. And I have really good reasons. (laughs) The guy is trouble for the church. And this leads to a very important uh, important point. There's a trend in Christianity um, regarding suffering. And as if, I'm going to pivot here for a second. It's almost like there's this trend where we believe suffering, and this has been throughout the history of Christianity, and it's gone to very extreme places. But it's almost this idea that suffering itself is holy. And so if I don't want to do something, it's all the more reason to do it. I should make myself uncomfortable, and then I am becoming more holy. And and there is some biblical basis for this. It's sort of the basis of fasting. You intentionally make yourself uncomfortable. But those are for short seasons and for intentional purposes. Generally speaking, it's not a good principle to live by. There are some things we don't want to do that God wants us to do. But there are other things we don't want to do that we might feel religious pressure to do that God isn't asking us to do. Okay? And, and this part of the story explains one of the major differences. So I want to I just kind of unpack between God's call in your life, which I think is really important, and gener- generic religious pressure. And trust me, if, if you want to take God's call in your life really seriously, you're going to need to discern the difference between God's voice in your life and religious pressure. Because usually if you're early in the faith, you've gone through a paradigm shift, those things are going to feel like they're the same. And they're not. In a world with so much pressure and expectations and a diversity of what opinion on what it even means to be a follower of Jesus, the, the, these things need to be separated. What is God asking you to do and versus what religious people are asking you to do? So, so, so are you ready? Here's some information on how to discern the difference. And this is big. Here's the difference between a call and religious pressure. A calling doesn't go away just because you don't want to do it and just because you say no. A calling is such a close part of who you are that, and here, here, I want you to hear this. This is very, very important. And I don't want to like come across as one of those speakers that's like, this is super profound, and then you're like, it wasn't as profound as you thought. I actually think this is super profound, and if you don't think it's profound, whatever. I, I think it's important, so hear me. A calling is such a close part of who you are that if we put off a calling, we don't get around to it, we don't do it, we say no forever, it will feel like a part of us is missing. 
The opposite is true for religious pressure. If we give in to religious pressure, and we do the things just because religious people or institutions want us to, then we will, over time, feel like a part of us is missing. You avoid a calling, and you will feel like a part of you is missing. You give in to religious pressure, and you will feel like a part of you is missing. This is because religious pressure is often rooted in shame, guilt, and fear. God's calling, though, is rooted in, in peace and in patience and in love. God's calling helps us in, in this world become the best versions of ourselves. We become the best versions of ourselves when we lean into the uniqueness that God has created us, and we make the world the way that God wants it when we do the things that God is asking us to do that are tough. And while it's hard at first, and even though we don't want to do God, what God's asking us sometimes, we're always nervous at the start. God's calling leads us to really good places. Religious pressure does not. It's rooted in shame, guilt, and fear, and will often lead us away from who we were created to be. Occasionally, religious pressure gets it right accidentally. Okay? So those aren't mutually exclusive. So God's calling doesn't go away because it's, it's rooted in who we were created to be, which means it's not threatened by our fears or apprehensions. On the other hand, religious pressure doesn't like to be challenged. Here's another big difference. Religious pressure doesn't like to be challenged. It doesn't, it doesn't like to be disagreed with. You have to do this, don't ask questions. That's religious pressure. You can't say no to religious pressure or you might be shamed. It, it's almost like religious pressure is just a, this house of cards. And, and if you reject it just a little bit, it'll fall and collapse. So people use religious pressure to get people to do things and you can't challenge it. Here's, here's the opposite. On the other hand, God's call in your life is not fragile. God's call in your life isn't fragile. It can withstand all the force of your complaints. You can be mad at God. You can disagree with God. You can tell God no, and it won't change how God loves you, and it won't change who God has created you to be, and it won't ruin your future. And that's good news. You're not going to mess up God's call in your life, because God's call in your life isn't fragile. So you can push against it. You can put it off. God won't hate you for that. It'll, you know, it's, it's your loss, but God's not going to hate you, and God's not going to forget you. What God will do is reassure you. Every time God called someone, they said no, and every time God responds with a simple truth, God says, I'll be with you. Over and over again, in call narratives, God says, I'll be with you. You see, that's the real difference between religious pressure and God's call. If you tell religious people no, they'll probably say, well, then get out of here. If you tell God no, he'll say, it's okay, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. God doesn't leave just because we're upset. God promises to be with you. Think about one of the biggest call narratives. It's one of the few that isn't personal. It's a call narrative for the entire church, but it follows the same format of a call narrative. It's out of Matthew. It's, uh, you know, the, the Great Commission, and, and it goes like this. Therefore, go. You see that command? Very common. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and watch for this, and surely I am with you always. Almost as if God, like, you're supposed to insert the objection right before I am with you always. Because if God was having a conversation with an individual, he'd be like, no thanks. And then God's like, no, it's okay, I'm going to be with you. You're not doing this on your own. I'll be with you all the way to the very end. I'll always be with you, even when you say no thanks. That's how a call narrative works, and I wanted you to hear that. Now, once again, this call narrative in Acts is a little different. We have this shift happening in the New Testament, very important shift. It deviates from the traditional form. 
And whenever a scripture deviates from what is standard, uh, it's important for us to take note. This is a very important way to read scripture. Like, oh, this is how it normally happens, and now it's different, so that's unique, and we have to pay attention to that. So God tells Ananias to go, not to, to v- defeat God's enemies, but to heal them. That's the first big difference. And then Ananias says, no thanks, which is pretty standard. And then usually God says, don't worry, I'll be with you every step of the way. You're not doing this alone. But look what God says here. It's a very significant shift. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, repeats the command, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Instead of saying... God would be with Ananias, God says that God will be with Saul. This is not to say that God would not be with Ananias. Of course God is with Ananias. You you see God's presence being with Ananias is kind of an assumption at this point. The book of Acts starts with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God's work is in the lives of the disciples. The question being asked throughout the gospel, throughout the the, the book of Acts, uh, and if you read Acts, you'll realize this is a major, major point of contention and question and people argue about it and debate it, is not whether disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. The ongoing question in the book of Acts is whether new converts were, in, in which new converts? Who, who gets to, to, to have God with them? Is, is God with the Gentiles too, not just the Jews? And, and can God even be with our enemies like Saul? The issue throughout Acts is to understand this question. How do we deal with people who are different and that we don't like and that are outsiders and that are enemies? And this major shift is happening, whereas before we were called to go to deliver God's enemies, to go to God's enemies and deliver God's people. Now the church is called to go and embrace God's enemies as God's people. Let me say that again. Because it's a major paradigm shift taking place in the story, a paradigm shift that is meant to categorize the community of God. Whereas before, God's people were called to go to God's enemies to deliver God's people over and over again in the Old Testament. Now the church is called to go and embrace God's enemies as God's people. If only we could wrap our minds around this shift that Jesus brought. Jesus was not kidding when he said, you have heard it said, love your friends, hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies. Here's how the story ends. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias is called to go to Saul, much like Moses is called to go to Pharaoh. But instead of bringing plagues, Ananias brings healing. He brings healing. Healing. I mentioned, many of you know, our churches have been in a process. We're merged now. It used to be Central City and St. Luke's, now it's City View Church. And over the last, this whole year, starting in January pretty much, we've been talking together in various merger conversations and, you know, uh, having honest conversations about our differences, which is really important, but also having honest conversations about what makes us the same and where, you know, we can lean into those. And one of the things that uh, we really settled on is that both communities are really striving to be a place of healing. 
a safe place for people rejected by others, a safe place for people hurt by the church, a safe place for people struggling with life and toxic forms of Christianity or religion, a place where people can breathe and to rest. And I bet as you, we continue this conversation, you might be listening and wondering what God has called you to do, what God has created you to be, who God has created you to be. And, and while you might have found you know, even an exciting career and have found purpose in it, you still wonder if there's more. What, what is, where do I fit into the kingdom of God, into the community, in the kingdom of God? Because God's calling is often so personal um, and, and so specific, it, it doesn't always happen at the same time. It's not like God is going to give every single person in this room a unique vision for what our church should be. It's just that, that would be very chaotic. Some people still operate that way, and that's okay. We have lots of grace. Um, because even though God calls us personally, God has never asked someone to do something that they could do on their own. They always need community. Moses needed Aaron. Where's Aaron's call? Gideon needed his soldiers because he was waging war. Well, did the soldiers each receive an individual call? Ananias needed people who were willing to... He, he went to someone else's house that was caring for Saul, and, and, and likely he needed the su- church support you know, to go with this crazy idea and to heal this enemy of God. And so whether God has a specific call in your life or not, we know that God wants us, in kind of a more general sense, our community, to to be a place of healing. And God wants us to support each other's call. I've never felt more like a member of the body of Christ than when I set aside my ego and I came along with someone else's vision to support it. Um, And and I don't want to say that from the perspective, like, that's what you should do for me as the lead pastor. Like, that's not what I'm saying. it's, It's a joint effort, and we're meant to support the visions and the passions and the, 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 the stirrings that are in your heart. And, 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 and then, then myself and our leadership and our staff and our board also have to have hard conversations around, like, you know, that might not be what our community can do, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. And so that, that's the messiness of community. And there are a lot of answers to this question of how we can support each other. But for our church right now, we've come to, together and through conversation decided that we want to pursue healing, to be a healing place for our church, and for our city. So in the most general sense, even if you don't feel called to do anything else, you're not here by accident. I promise you you're not. You're here, I think, because God knows you have a role in helping us become a safe place to invest in our healing of our community, to invest in the healing of our city. That might be by reducing infant mortality through Little Bottoms Free Store, by by reducing violence through our work with CVR. I mean, can you think of a better way to heal a city than violence reduction? By healing religious trauma through our mental health fund, providing spiritual direction and counselors and and just having compassion and empathy for each other by welcoming and embracing adults with disabilities. If you haven't met the friendship class yet, mm, I highly recommend it. They're gonna be doing, I know our service happens during their class, but our ministry with adults with disabilities is gonna be doing some events, the first ones in the fall. They're gonna be looking for volunteers. It's going to be a lot of fun. I highly recommend you come and volunteer, especially for this service that kind of doesn't get to participate or, or volunteer in the class. Maybe it's by caring for each other, by welcoming guests, by volunteering with city kids, by making coffee. We all have a role to play in God's, in God's call for the church. So I want to end by just reminding us this. God has created you unique. And whatever God's laid on your heart, I want to help you figure out, and I know our staff wants to help you figure out how you can kind of live into that. 
And if you haven't felt anything from God, that's okay too. Like, I know God wants you to come on board and and support what God has called our community because it's not just about individuals. But one of the tools that we're giving you that'll help kind of start the conversation is a spiritual gifts assessment. This is provided by our denomination. We're United Methodist Church. It's It's a fine assessment. You might not agree with all of the language, but I've probably received a dozen emails at least this week from people in our community who've taken time to fill it out and sent it. There are quite a few emails I have not responded to yet, so my apologies. I'm looking at a few of you. And uh, I hope to look at those and respond. We're asking our board and our staff to do this. It's not the be-all and end-all assessment, guys. It's not, I mean, it's not even as impressive as Enneagram, all right? But it's just whatever. But it's just a conversation starter. And it just kind of gets us thinking about what God is calling us to And uh, even if we interact with it and say, "Ah, that's not really me, at least we're thinking about it and we're wrestling with it and we're talking about it. So I encourage you, if you consider this your church home, to go to cityviewcolumbus.org slash gifts, fill it out. And if you have a team leader, you can send it to them. And if not, you can send it to me or you can just reflect on it yourself. So I'm going to invite the the band to come up as we uh, continue in worship. Um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for being the church and for choosing people like us, just normal people like us, that you might use us, work with us, (laughs) that you have a plan for our lives. And then it's not such a fragile plan that we have to be careful or pretend like we're excited about it. No, we can be honest with you. We can wrestle with it. You're willing to work with us, and you will not leave us. There is nothing that will separate us from your great love. Nothing. So come and meet us and show us the way. In your name we pray.